0: This morning, we're going to be continuing our sermon series um, through the Christmas season entitled The Christmas Story. If you haven't been here, that's okay. Let me just bring you up to speed. So we are taking a journey through Genesis 22, looking at literally a journey that God called Abraham to take with his son Isaac to offer him up on top of the mountain as a sacrifice. And we're looking at how that informs us as Christians as we journey through this life. But more importantly, we're seeing a foreshadowing of the true Christmas story, a journey that Jesus himself would take uh, several thousand years later in human history where he steps down. Down from his throne uh, to be born as a baby uh, into a manger scene, and then grow up to become a man who would journey to the cross to lay down his life as a ransom for many and so today we 're looking at the journey of sacrifice and so so far we 've looked at um, the journey of obedience. Week one, we looked at how Abraham himself, when God said, go do this, he didn't respond with questions. He didn't respond with doubt. He responded with obedience. He obeyed God and he took his son Isaac and started the journey. Then we came back last week and we looked at how it was a journey of trust that in, in, in a really hard moment when Isaac asked his dad Abraham, hey dad, I see where we're going and I see what we're going to do, uh, but where's the lamb for this sacrifice? And Abraham responded, son, God himself will Provide And we got to see Abraham's trust, not in his own ability to figure things out, but trusting in God, God's intentions uh, towards him and his son. This week, we're gonna be talking about uh, the part of the journey that leads us to the journey of sacrifice. And I wanna take a moment to talk about sacrifice for a moment, I think for a couple of reasons. One, Um, the culture we live in has in in a lot of ways um, devalued the idea of sacrifice over the years. We've seen kind of a dilution, if you will, of the idea of sacrifice from something that was at one point in time honored by all, the idea of sacrifice that someone would give up something of value for the sake of someone else. Now we live in a culture and society today where we still still celebrate sacrifice, but the idea that it would be required um, goes against our rights to require somebody to sacrifice. Now, the Bible presents sacrifice as a requirement. It's being required of Abraham here, isn't it? We'll see it later on, required of Jesus himself. See, the Bible paints the idea of sacrifice as something of high virtue, and the greatest sacrifice that someone can make is the sacrifice of their own life. And here in the story, Abraham is being called to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Now, we've made it to the point in the story where they're up on top of the mountain, and now it's time for, as we say, the rubber to meet the road. It's time to follow through with what Abraham has been commanded to do by sacrificing his son. So we'll be in Genesis chapter 22. Um, I'm going to pray. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you can, and then we'll read this together. Um, Father, as we open your word together this morning, we pray you would speak that, God, your voice would be heard by everybody here. God, would you speak through the pages and the words of the Bible? Would you speak through your Holy Spirit that, God, we could hear from you today and be changed? We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse nine. When they, that's Abraham and Isaac, came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there. And laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know... You fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the mount of the lord it shall be provided now as we walk through this part of the story some things i'd like to to point out obviously this is the point of no return for abraham right he's taking his son now remember this is not an infant child that has no idea what's going on just earlier in the story we saw this child ask his dad what are we doing So Isaac is cognitively aware of what's going on, and Abraham is at the point now where he's taking his son and binding him up, and he's placing him on the altar as a sacrifice. And then we see at just the right time, the angel of the Lord speaks out and says, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Now, what happens next is incredible, because A, Abraham had no idea this is what God was going to do. And B, this is where it begins to point our hearts forward to what Jesus would do for us. Now, it's interesting because Abraham stops what he's doing and it says that he did what? Get this with me again. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and then we have this really profound word, behold, we talked about that earlier in the sermon series, this idea where it's an announcement to come look. It's an invitation to come look and see what I have found. When I say behold, like I'm I'm proclaiming, I'm announcing something. I'm not just saying, oh, hey, come look at this. I'm, I'm announcing that I have found something worthy of you to come and to look at with me and to admire with me. And this is a big deal for Abraham when he looks and he sees the ram and behold, this is what God had planned. This is God's provision as he sees the ram caught in the thicket. So Abraham turns and he unbinds his son Isaac and he puts the ram on the altar instead and offers him as a sacrifice. Now to fully understand sacrifice and what's happening here in this story, we've got to look at the big picture of the Bible and what sacrifice is from God's perspective I think we forget sometimes that sacrifice has been part of the human journey from the beginning. Um, if we go back to Genesis chapter 2, where God takes um, Adam, puts him in the garden, and gives him a command. Look, look at what God says to Adam. This is in Genesis 2, starting in verse 15. The Lord God took the man it's Adam, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you, are, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. This is what I want you to see. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely what? Die. See, from the beginning, death has been the punishment for sin. Death has been the punishment for disobeying God. That's what sin is, right? When God says, don't do something, and then we do it, that's sin. That's rebellion. That's disobedience. Or when God says, right, to do something, like honor your mother and father. When we don't do what God has commanded, that is, again, sin. It's disobedience. And the penalty for sin from the beginning has been what? Death. And we see early on in the pages of Genesis, sacrifices and, and offerings been made to the Lord. Matter of fact, if you just fast forward two chapters after the fall in the garden, we find Cain and Abel. And you know before one brother murders the other, you know what they were doing? They were offering up sacrifices to the Lord. So the idea of sacrifice, the idea of, of death being the penalty for sin has been part of the human journey since the beginning. And so when we get to this part in Genesis 22, essentially what Abraham is being called by God to offer up is his son Isaac as, as an offering for sin, as a burnt offering. Now, a few books later in the Bible, in the book of Leviticus, God gives some specific instructions to the priests on how to carry out these offerings. I think this is helpful in understanding what not only God is doing in Abraham and Isaac's story, but it also is helpful in understanding how this story connects us to Christmas itself. So later on in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 16, we find the instructions for the burnt offering, the ram. And the priest is instructed to take a ram and then to take two goats uh, to the temple, to the tent of meeting, and to offer them up in a very specific way. First of all, the ram itself is to be offered up as a burnt offering. Then the two goats, this was interesting, the two goats were offered up differently. One was sacrificed, killed, and butchered, and the other one uh, became the one that represented the sins of the people that was sent off into the wilderness. I'll read a few verses from Leviticus 16 describing the burnt offering. This is verse seven, Leviticus 16. Then he, the priest, shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, kind of like rolling dice. One lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel, which we don't fully know what Azazel was or what it represented, but more than likely it it represented in the Hebrew culture, the place of the fallen angels. Okay, or maybe even hell itself. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. So that goat got slaughtered, killed, sacrificed right there as a sin offering to make payment for sins. But the other goat, verse 18, but the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness of Azazel. So the second goat then, the sins of the people were placed on this goat and it was sent out into the wilderness to become the scapegoat. And so this was the formal, full ritual for the people of God. This day uh, is known as the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And the Jewish nation still celebrates this day, even today. It's been modified a little bit, but the, the idea is still the same. It's a day of atonement, the day we atone for our sins, the day we pay back for our sins, and the day that we are cleansed from our sins, Yom Kippur. Now, the big questions that I ask when I read and think about these kinds of things is, um, first of all, what does, why does God require death as a penalty for sin? Why is sin such a big deal that I can't pay for my sin with some kind of religious taxes, with some money, or giving up of my possessions, or maybe just fasting from food or something in life? Why, do, why does sin require a death penalty? Now here's the answer to that question. So for you and I to fully grasp why it's such a big deal to disobey God, we first have to try to imagine in our minds how big God is. So the Bible says that God not only created the heavens and earth, but he can hold the cosmos in the palm of his hand. The ever- seemingly increasingly expanding universe that surrounds the earth or that the earth is part of all the solar systems fit in the palm of God's hand. So you and I with about eight pounds of mush between our ears, a little speck of sand in that universe are trying to fathom just how big this God is. When you try to imagine God's glory. Whatever you imagine, it's not glorious enough. However big God is in your mind, your imagination is not big enough. And so we have to understand to violate him, to disobey him is the greatest of all disobediences. It is to dishonor him, right? It is to belittle his authority. When I When I disobey God, what I'm saying is that here's God's authority and here's my authority. I'm not gonna do what he's called me to do. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. And so it's a belittling of his authority, but more than anything, more than anything, it is a trampling of his glory. The greatest of all crimes in the universe is to violate or to trample or to belittle God's glory the thing of greatest value in the universe is God's glory. Now, when God's glory is violated, a price has to be paid. And the greatest price that I can pay is my own life. And here's what we find though, is really that's not even enough. Now, when we get to the New Testament, we're gonna see now this connection between Jesus and what's happening here in Genesis 22, I'll give you some examples. Think about the way the New Testament talks about Jesus. I'll give you an example from Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 says this, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So who all has sinned here? All of us according to the Bible, right? Whether, whether I'm a Christian or not, whether I agree with it or not, right? God's sitting on his throne and he is declaring all have sinned. And then there's a second phrase with that though, right? It's not just all have sinned, all have sinned in what? Fallen short of his glory. We've trampled on his glory. So we're all guilty of the greatest violation uh, in the whole universe that could be committed. We have violated God's glory, But look at what is written after this. Not only have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, verse 24, and are justified, that means made right, by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Jesus does something to fix my trampling of his glory. Verse 25 whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. It's a big word. Did anybody use that this morning around the breakfast table? Thank you for the propitiation, you know, for my, break, my bacon and eggs. No. So don't get caught up by this big word. It essentially means this. It is, it is a sacrificial payment made, okay? That's the propitiation here. It's God putting forward a sacrificial payment for something, so who? what was the payment? What did he put forward according to what we just read? Jesus. So God puts forward his son as a sacrificial payment to do what? To atone for our sins by his blood. So Jesus' blood being spilt at the cross essentially was making an atonement payment for us. When God said to Adam, the day you eat of this tree and disobey me, you will surely taste death. He was saying that what? The penalty for sin is death. And so Jesus was paying that penalty for you and I. You see that? He was atoning for. He was a, being put forward as a sacrificial payment for our sins. In 1 John, we read more about the blood of Jesus. In verse, chapter 1 of 1 John, verse 7, We read this, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, does something. What does it do? It cleanses us from our sins. So what we see in the New Testament is that really Jesus takes the place of both goats. He's the one that was slaughtered as an atonement, payment for our sins and he's also the scapegoat the one on which the sins of the world were placed upon him to carry them into the wilderness on our behalf now there's a bridge that helps us see this connection as well between Genesis 22 and Christmas itself Uh, and the, the prophet Isaiah speaks so vividly and clearly about this so keep in mind, what Abraham was doing was something that, that was, had been done by mankind for a long time. After Leviticus, when, when the formal instructions were given to the priests for hundreds of years, the day of atonement would come, the goats would be offered, the day of atonement would pass until the next year. And then the day of atonement would come, this, one goat would be slaughtered, one would be sent into the woods as a scapegoat, and then the day would pass, year after year, the day of atonement, as an attempt to cleanse us of our sins. Several hundred, matter of fact, several thousand years later, we get to the prophet Isaiah. Now, what's interesting about the prophet Isaiah is where he begins his prophecy in chapter one. Look at what he says, Isaiah chapter one, verse 10 and 11. He says, hear the word of the Lord. When when Isaiah says that, what he's saying to the nation of Israel, God has something to say to you. Listen, God wants to say something to you. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Was God saying to the people of Israel, I've had enough. Enough bringing your animals into the temple year after year as an atonement for your sins. Now, Later on, the prophet Isaiah is going to explain why, because God says, Here's why. Because you are a people who honor me with your lips, but your hearts are a long way away from me. Year after year, they were going through the motions, the rituals of offering the animals as a sacrifice and atonement for sin. And God said, Yeah, but that's not what I'm after. I'm after your hearts. Enough with the burnt offerings. I want your heart. And so God begins to prophesy through Isaiah and he tells them, hey, I'm gonna send you a better king to offer a better sacrifice. What you've been doing isn't enough. It isn't working. I'm gonna send you a better king to offer a better sacrifice. And by the time we get to the 53rd chapter of the prophet Isaiah, we see this merging of of king and sacrifice coming together. Isaiah 53, starting in verse two, a description of this coming king who would come and offer a perfect and good and final sacrifice. He, the king, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. There would be nothing about this coming king that would be majestic, that would be beautiful enough to draw our attention to him. He was, verse three, despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he opened, up his, opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. What Isaiah is saying is this. God is going to one day send a king to offer a better sacrifice and the sacrifice is gonna be himself. One day God will send to you a servant king, a humble king, not one who demands attention and popularity, but one who comes in humility and serves the people and at the end of his journey will offer up his own life like a lamb being led to the slaughter as a ransom, as a payment, as a scapegoat for the sins of the world. The new king will be a servant who would be rejected, pierced, crushed, wounded, and killed as a sacrifice and ransom for many. The Messiah king would be a lamb led to the slaughter. See, that's what the manger is. It is the first step on a journey of a lamb who is being led to a slaughter. Jesus was born in a manger to be sacrificed on a cross. That was not a change in the plan. That was the plan. And in Abraham and Isaac's journey, we see this foreshadowing. When Abraham says to his son Isaac, God will provide the lamb. He was looking forward, wasn't he? At just the right time, when Abraham looked and saw the ram caught in the thickets, God was saying, see Abraham, I'm gonna provide the lamb to be slain as a substitute sacrifice for your son Isaac. Jesus, the son of God, came to earth as a baby born in a manger to ultimately go to the cross where he would die as the servant king of Israel and offer himself as a final substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of the world. And I want you to hear one Sentence more from the Bible. It's what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming. So John the Baptist was the one who was to prepare the way and make the announcement of this servant king. And in John chapter one, John the Baptist sees Jesus from a distance walking his way and look at what John proclaims. Verse 29 of John chapter one, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said what? The same thing Abraham said, behold, look, look what I see. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, Jesus came to earth to be born in a manger to take a journey of sacrifice. That was not a change of plans. That was not a plan B. That was not God getting backed into a corner with no other options. Jesus being born in a manger was God putting him forth As a sacrificial gift to you and to me to atone for our sins and to become our scapegoat. I just wonder here today if you've truly come to trust in Jesus as your substitute sacrifice for your sins. Are you still hoping to get into heaven by being good enough? If you are, you're not trusting in Jesus and the payment he made to take your place. You either believe he made the payment in full or he didn't. He either took your place or he didn't. Have you come to that place where you've trusted in Jesus and him alone? You see, to miss this is really to miss the essence of Christmas. It's so much more than decorations and food and family. Christmas is about you and me celebrating God, putting forth his son as a substitute sacrifice for us to take our place on the cross. Listen, if you haven't come to that place in your life journey where you've trusted in Jesus and him alone, I'm gonna pray that you'd make that decision today. You take that step of faith and say, you know what, God, I wanna wanna trust in Jesus and him alone. He took my place he bore the penalty for my sin and by his blood, I can be cleansed of all unrighteousness. You may not know this, but that's the Bible says that's the only way to get into heaven. That's the only way. There's no plan B. Trusting in Jesus and him alone. Now, I wanna pray for us and pray for you. If you're here today and, and you're a Christian, maybe like me, you need to be reminded of this day after day week after week maybe like me you tend to lose sight of the the price that was paid the sacrifice that was made in our place and in your place and maybe today will be a day for God to rekindle and to stir that in you I I hope he will I pray he will but maybe today is a day for you to take that first step of faith and trust in Jesus as your savior for the first time so let me pray for us and then we'll respond um Father, we praise you today. God, we honor you. We desire to bring glory to your name. God, where we have sinned and where we have trampled your glory, we pray that Christ would restore. We thank you that Jesus has truly paid the price for us. God, I pray for any person here today who does not know you personally, who has not taken that step of faith that today would be the day. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to move through this room, speak to our hearts, convict us where we are walking in pride, heal us where we are walking in brokenness, we pray all this in Jesus' name.